talked about continuing our series on creation. This is the second week. Uh, we're in Genesis 1 and John 1. If you want to, to see context and verses around it, or if you need a Bible, the Bibles that are spread around throughout the chairs, they're there for you. And if you need one, please feel free to take one with you. Those are there for your benefit. And we are on page one. And, uh, and the other passage is page 886. So um, the, the, first, the first one's pretty easy to find, page one. We, we, are, we talked last week about uh, this invitation to marvel in awe at a God who created existence. And, and thinking of some of the, the glory, the vastness, uh, the immensity of that, uh, recognizing that there aren't even enough words to give picture to what happened. Um, and so we're just, we're just marveling uh, at who he is. And, and this week we're beginning to get at this idea some of how he did it. Now, as a reminder, the, the series might be aptly titled Mysteries in Genesis. So there's a lot of things that we don't know. And yet there's some things that are revealed here that I think are helpful and encouraging to us. This how did he do it? And I, I'm one, I, I feel like I should, I can't believe I haven't watched this more, but some of you may be aware of the TV show, How It's Made. It's a documentary and it spends like, uh, time on how just different products are made, right? And w- how the different materials and people bring things together to create uh, a product, right? I-, I think about when I was in elementary school, I had an opportunity to go to uh, FedEx, the, the facility. And it does, does, you know, you think, oh, that doesn't sound very exciting. But it was a big deal. One, because uh, FedEx, I grew up in Memphis, and some may know that uh, Fred Smith started FedEx, Federal Express, uh, in Memphis. He's a Memphian. And, uh, and it, he did this study that, that determined that the best distribution spot for the country, like the cheapest for the country, was re- actually really close to Memphis. And so at that time, when I was in elementary school, there was the Memphis Distribution Center. And when things went and were sent and shipped overnight by FedEx, it came to Memphis, and then it went wherever. So it would come sometimes from a city to Memphis and then back to that same city. It was just the way that it worked. And it was this process where everything would happen overnight in that facility. And they did like a midnight tour. And so as an elementary school kid, we, we, the, our family went and did this tour. And it was awesome. You got to see how it all worked. And, you know, it's the people at the conveyor belts that we didn't have the scannings. You know, back when I was a boy, it was, uh, you know, it, they're, they're looking at the address and moving things to the right place. And, and they're explaining how it works. And it was fascinating. You were seeing some of the planes get loaded and uh, you were seeing a little bit of how it was done. Right. They weren't making a product, but they were delivering something. And and I, uh, I like this idea of, of how things are made. And so we're beginning to see just a little bit. Now remember, again, mysteries, again, vastness, immensity. It's too big to fully understand. But God is very early on telling us how he formed the world, how he makes it. And the focus that we find here, starting in verse 3, is, and God said. God said. He spoke the world into being. And we see in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. There are many, again, many themes that are prevalent throughout Scripture that are introduced here in these first few chapters of the Bible. And one of those is the Word of God. 
and its significance. And it is God speaking existence into being. It's him here forming the world out of what was formless and void in verse 2, speaking it into order, into a way that could be uh, lived in, essentially. He's moving toward, we're going to get to on day 6, the, the creation of, uh, of human beings, right? And so to, to build this world, he does it by speaking. And this is really, really significant. So that's where we're going to dive in on this idea that God is a speaking God. And his word reveals his power, his authority, and his love. The fact that God created the world and that he ordered it by his word creates his power, his authority, and his love. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your power, that we would marvel at it, your authority, that we would submit to it, and your love, that we would rejoice in it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The power of God is, is evident, is displayed in the fact that he is able to speak the world into being. That, that in the beginning, so John 1 picks up on this again. This is this theme that continues throughout scripture. And that we see Jesus himself, and we know from the rest of John 1 and the rest of John and the rest of the Bible, that the word is Jesus. When it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we know from verse 14 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, that the Word is, is Jesus himself. So we're, we're actually seeing that there's something starting here with the Word of God in Genesis 1 that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And we read those things together. We understand that this is a part of one big story that God is beginning with creation, but he is headed in a particular direction. And so as we see here, him speaking the world into being, we find that this is a theme that matters for us now and has some pretty significant implications that Jesus himself was the word. There's this connection between the word that God speaks and who he is himself, that there uh, is this mystery and and that it is the same. And so that when he speaks... There, there is a power in it that we can barely even begin to understand. So I, I might have walked into this, to the, the room. I didn't do this, but I, I could have walked into the room this morning. I'm, I'm the first one here and the lights are off and nobody else is here. And I could say, let there be light. And, and unless I, I did this and happened to hit the switch on my way up, there, there wouldn't be light, right? And in that, in that process, there would be a lot of mediating factors. It would be that my arm was raised. It would be that I hit the switch. It would be that there were electricians that installed the switch and all of the electricity. It would be that there's a power plant somewhere that is creating that electricity and that Thomas Edison created the light bulb and on and on and on. There's lots of stuff that we're working with, right? I'm not actually doing anything with my words. My It does communicate my desire to turn on the light, but there's lots of mediating factors, right? And we talked about this last week, that that God created things out of nothing, and anything that we create, and we are his image bearers, and we are called to be creators, but we take what already exists, and we create things with that. But he created out of nothing, and so for him to speak and there to be light is this picture of power. This picture of things being done that we cannot even imagine just with the words that he speaks. And we also see that not only does he speak something, he says, let there be light. 
He has, a, he has an intended, uh, apparently, a, a speech pathologist talk about locution, illocution, and perlocution, and that is essentially what somebody says, what they intend by what they say, uh, what, they, what they hope to affect, and then what they actually affect by their words, right? And there's a whole mix when it comes to our words, right? It's, it's a mess. But with God, he speaks, and what he intends to speak is what actually happens. It's all completely connected. His, his word is powerful, so that when he says, let there be light, what he intended to happen, happens. It's both communicated by what he says, and it is affected. So that his power is displayed by him saying, let there be light, and there being light. And so... It, we, we are forced to, to see the power that God has just in the words that he speaks. There's also a picture of his power in the fact that he is demonstrated to be the one that exists. We, we, we know, and we spent a good bit of time on this in the fall, that he exists in the Trinity. He experiences a God, he exists as a God of love, but he's not in creation creating out of conflict, or he's not He's not, uh, he's not creating the world in, in any kind of tension. And now, that was actually happening in other ancient Near Eastern creation stories. So oftentimes there's comparisons. The, the, the biggest one would be the Enuma Elish. But there are other ancient Near East creation stories. And some of them talk about both creation and the flood. Which, if we believe that this is communicating something real and true about what happened... And to be clear, as followers of Jesus, as members of the church, we do believe that. We believe that this is actually communicating something about what God actually did. If, if this is actually what happened, then of course there would be other stories. It would be uh, seeing and perceiving things in particular ways and, and then often twisting them, as we do. Uh, our, our words often get twisted with lies or misunderstanding or all kinds of things, right? So it's, it's completely consistent and understandable that there are other stories. But the other stories often have this conflict. It's God's in conflict. And the picture that we find here is that there is no conflict. He's creating out of perfection. It's really hard for us to imagine. It's impossible for us to imagine. Life before the fall. That's what's being described here, right? There, there's no brokenness. There's no conflict. There's, there's no yin and yang happening here. Good versus evil. This is all, all of God's creation is good. We, we see that even here in verse 4, that he proclaims that it is, is good, the first thing that he creates. So he is not a mute idol. He's not in competition with the sun or moon. I think there's this clear picture that we see as he creates light, that light exists. It precedes actually the sun and the moon. And for many at this time, they would have worshipped the sun and the moon. They would have seen them as these competing gods to, that they would have to uh, do, create sacrifices for. They would have to alleviate their desires, all these different gods. So this is saying that, that light exists, that God is powerful enough with his word to create light even before the sun and the moon come, day four. And we know from Revelation 22, verse 5, that light will outlast the sun, that there's not even a need for the sun to shed light on the world because it will emanate from the word Jesus himself. There's this picture being created here. Again, this invitation to marvel at the power of God speaking and accomplishing the world being made. Light being created. Let there be light and there was light. 
I mean, this is, we're, we're familiar with this. If we've been in the church, we know these words, right? But the reality of what this is communicating, that God is able to say, let there be light, and there was light, and that he then saw that it was good. This has significant implications for the way we understand who he is. The awe and the marvel that we would have him in him, the, the picture that we would understand of our limitations as his creatures, that, that we stand before a God with humility who is able to do this and work in this way. And we'll get to in a moment, we talked about last week as well, that, that we're invited into relationship with this God. This one with this kind of power, the maker, the creator, the one with power to speak the world into being. But we also find that not only does it communicate something amazing about his power, it communicates something about his authority. His authority over his, his kingship, his reign and rule over all that exists. We, we think about the word that might come from somebody in power, a king even, uh, in this world. Not the king, here is the king of kings, but uh, a king might speak and it have some significant uh, power to shape an environment, to shape a way that things uh, exist. Uh, and there's ways in which God's word works like that, but it's incredibly different too because his word is perfect in what it creates. And he does here speak, he creates and orders, and then he begins to give value and place and meaning to what he has created. So that he's putting himself as the maker, as one who has authority over all things. So that his word is perfect, not just in what it accomplishes, but in everything that it communicates and does, so that what he, what he creates then is perfect. Again, we're in a world that is pre-fall. Our word, when we speak, is very different. It's going to be, it might actually just have right out lies in it, because we've all spoken lies. It might come from a place of misunderstanding. We're speaking something that we think is true, or that we think we understand, and we don't. Or we speak something and we intend it to to accomplish something that it it does not necessarily uh, accomplish. So I might say, you know, we're at at the house and I'm with the family and we're going to a party that starts at 7. And it's uh, 7.05. And I might ask the question, what time is it? And, and the intent of asking that question at this point is for, uh, the, the, for my kids to go, oh my goodness, it's, it's, it's to, to hop up and get in the car and take off to this uh, event that we're going to, right? But that might not be the actual effect of the words that I speak. Uh, but it's clear that I'm not asking the question because I want to know. I've just looked at my watch. I, just, I know what time it is. I'm not looking to have that question answered. I, I'm looking to, to elicit action. But I might instead get a response of, well, you don't want to uh, show up really actually even on time. You, you got to show up fashionably late. Or, uh, I, I might not get the response that I'm looking for. I mean, typically I always get the response that I'm looking for. <laughs> Other parents, maybe not. Here with the, uh, with the creator, with the maker, with Elohim, with God, there, there is no disconnect, right? Uh, what he says and, again, what he means and what actually happens is actually exactly what happens. And he's demonstrating himself in that moment to have uh, authority over it. So that he's able to say, let there be light, and then say that it's good. To name it as, as a good thing. And he's going to do this next week. We're going to look at 
all the days of creation. We're going Genesis 1, 3 through 25. We're going to see all the days. And he says it's this refrain. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. He's giving value to his creation. And by giving it value, we see there at the beginning of verse 4, and then giving it place, by putting it in its place. In in the second half of verse 4, he separates the light from the darkness. And we're going to see other places as the days go on where he, he, the next day, he's going to separate the expanse from uh, the sea. He's going to separate the waters from the expanse. He's separating and ordering the world. He's giving it its place. And as a result, he's giving it meaning and naming it by calling it day and night. See, there's, there's meaning to what is going on here. He's demonstrating himself in this moment to have authority, to have authority over all that he creates because he knows what is right and good and because he's able to accomplish it. So he is, he is in, in these verses, in these chapters, He's giving us this picture of a God who has created the world and he's inviting us into that story so that we would, and and I used this language last week, but I think it comes up again and again, that we would discover the meaning that he's created. And this is incredibly countercultural because what we find ourselves in is in a culture that says that we need to create meaning for the world, for ourselves, uh, for one another. But what we're invited into is a story that he has created a world that he has created, both the spiritual and the physical, all of it he created, and he's given it meaning, and he's invited us to discover that meaning. And again, this is contrary. We're, we're in a world that says, you know, what is your truth? We're in a world that says, you know, you do you, or you figure out who you are, or be true uh, to yourself, and that's something that you have to uh, define for yourself. I mean, I mean, I think about the, the, the pressure that so many of our, our kids must find when they're, they're saying, you've got to figure out all the details of who you are. You have to do that separate from influence by other people, except maybe, you know, it's got to fit into these categories. I mean, everybody's got their categories, right? We're all under the influence of others. But there's this incredible pressure to define meaning for who we are and who others are and who how the world operates. But what we're invited into is something much, much different. It's a world that he has created and that he gives meaning that he says is good so that as he has that authority, he's inviting us into that goodness. Now, there are points at which Stephanie and I as parents have done things right and we've set boundaries that have been good. And we've named those for our kids, those boundaries sometimes uh, in ways that have been really helpful. There are times that that hasn't happened. I'm going to use a good example, okay? And, and there are times when I think that we have directed our kids in good ways that they haven't fully understood and maybe even still don't. Not to mention, you know, the, the moments that they'll say we messed up and messed them up and all that. But one of the rules that we set for our kids at a, a pretty... Um, well, from the beginning of them having screens, was we said, no screens upstairs. So there's all kinds of uh, you know, reasons and all kinds of dangers that come with screens, whether it's phones or tablets or computers. There's things that can be accessed. There's uh, addiction. There's uh, time wasted, all that kind of stuff, right? So we just said, the screens are going to stay downstairs. We have 
our, our downstairs is pretty wide open. And there were times where that was like there was some tension there. At this point, we are thankful that all of our kids actually are thankful for that, that rule. Our, our kids are senior in high school and up, and they can see the benefit of that rule that we had. It was a good rule. It was a helpful rule, even if there were moments where they didn't love it or it wasn't convenient. And we recognize that some of that tension, that it wasn't always helpful for homework or just listening to music or some kind of different things, right? But uh, there is a sense in which our authority was good and right and helpful for them, whether they saw it or not. And that's just one of the ways we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with the fact that we're his image bearers, and so we operate in some of the ways that he operates, but he does it perfectly. And so as the one who has authority, who created the world with his word, and then sustains, this is, this, again, this theme of the word continues throughout scripture so that we find him as a, a God who not only created the world by his word, he sustains the world and all of creation by his word. Psalm 147, Hebrews chapter one, we see this picture of his word having power and authority throughout creation and existing now. And so we are invited to submit to that, that authority, to that meaning that he's given us. And there are gonna be times and there are gonna be places where it is gonna push against the way that we want things to be, or the way that we understand things to be, that we're going to come across his word. It's, it's, it's not going to sit well with us. But that's because we're the creatures. And we see in a couple of chapters, it's because we rebel against him and we want to be the ones in authority. But we're invited here into something that is good, something that is perfect, that he will bring us to that perfection at some point in the future. That's what we're invited into, to submit to that authority And ultimately, we find that his word communicates love to us. So that submitting to that authority and recognizing the power is all good for us. It's all good for us to be invited into that story. So that it's not just this power and authority that lords it over us in in an oppressive way. It's one that does it out of love. Just the fact that he's a communicating God, that he begins by speaking is is communicating, as it does throughout all of Scripture, that he is a relational God, that he wants and is about relationship, that all that he does is about creating this situation where he can say, I will be your God and you will be my people and we will be in relationship with one another. That comes through communication. Without words, without that communication, there, there is no relationship, but the very fact that he's a speaking God, that he starts here so early by speaking and revealing himself is illuminating about the kind of God that he is and what he wants in regard to relationship with you and with me. We, we think about this in, in relationships with other people, right? If you go on, uh, if, if you just want to get to know somebody, right? Maybe it's a neighbor or maybe it's somebody that you met at church or maybe it's on a date. The, how do you do that? You, you talk to each other. You ask questions. You have conversation. And if somebody doesn't respond to your questions, or they only respond with yes or no or as little as possible, it, it doesn't communicate love. It doesn't build relationship, right? Conversation and revealing who we are, that's what builds relationship. And relationships of, of love, all the more so. The more 
you end up in a relationship where you love one another. And this is true of friendships or dating relationships or marriages or parents and kids. Then the more that you reveal about yourself and you do that by communicating truth of your story and your desires and who you are and how you live in life. This is the way that it works. I remember telling my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, the first time that I told her that I loved her. And uh, Max Patch, North Carolina, it was, it was great. Um, and, uh, and I remember that from that came more conversations that the way that we both then communicated our love for one another was by revealing more of our, our, ourselves and our stories and our past and our history with one another. That was part of the way that we expressed that love was to reveal ourselves through the things that we spoke to one another. If somebody gives you the silent treatment, that is not a communication of love, right? So we find here a God who is revealing himself to us and that the word plays out in these powerful big ways with creation, but then it continues by him revealing who he is in his word in scripture, Old and New Testament, by him incarnating himself as the word in Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In the verse 14, which we don't have here, if you did pick up the Bible on page 886, it's and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we can celebrate that his love communicates who he is and that it is for us truth. Because part of what we want in communication with one another, it's really loving if it's truthful. We just kind of know, matter of fact, that if we communicate lies to one another, that, that's not loving. But what we find here is a God who communicates truth. He is a God who defines truth by his very nature. He is himself truth, Psalm 31, Isaiah 65, so that the words that he speaks are an outflowing of who he is, the God of truth, and so that his words are true. And that for us is loving, particularly in this time where we are more and more surrounded by a cacophony of words and statements and communication that is just worthless and trash. Like it's, that, that's just, that, that is happening in a way that is a, a bit beyond comprehension with the way that the internet has grown over the years, right? We could, I actually thought about this and I looked up the, the number of words in the Bible and it's pretty measurable and pretty easy to, to count. It's 780,000, uh, somewhere around there. It's a little bit above that. But you, you, you look up, I did look up how many words on the internet and it's all a complete guess. Because it's just so big, right? And, and, and one of the researchers was like, we really actually need a, a new word for uh, infinity uh, to help us understand uh, how much is on the internet. And if you've been on the internet, maybe some of you have, um, there's a lot of worthless stuff there. A lot of trash. I mean, in, in, even just in, in social media, you spent a little bit of time on the Facebook or Instagram or the Twitters, um, X. I know it's called X. I'm, 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 I'm up with it, right? There is just so much trash, so much worthless. Uh, there's, there's, again, the, just the straight up lies that are out there to deceive. And, and that grows more and more, right? But there's just like the things that, that we communicate ourselves just because we misunderstand and then we're misunderstood. Then we're heard incorrectly. 
I, I, I talk about this regularly with, uh, just, you should all know, if you're trying to have a serious conversation with somebody about something, there's maybe, particularly if there's any kind of re- potential for relational tension, don't do that conversation over text or email. Do it best in person, but maybe over the phone. That you, you say things, and then people assume tone, and they assume meaning, that if you're having a conversation, that it could be, oh, no, no, that's not, that's not what I meant. But when it comes in these words communicated online or in emails, you assume, we can assume the worst, right? That's just one example of the, just the mess that is our, that are our own words. But here we have this promise and this picture of God's word being perfect and true and inviting us into what is good. The picture is picked up on on the first thing that he creates with light because light reveals what is true. This is this other biblical theme that continues for the whole of scripture that is this picture of God shining truth and light on the world. Even in John chapter one, this is the picture of what the word is. He was in the be- he was in the beginning with God. All things were all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. The first thing that he creates is light, truth, this beauty, shining truth and illuminating what is real. We we can all remember these times where there's darkness. We don't know what's there and it can be terrifying. I woke up two nights ago to this really loud crash downstairs. And, I, and I'm like, I, have, I, mean, I have to get my wits about me and I, I go and I get the bat. Uh, and I mean, it was incredibly loud and I'm like, okay. And the lights are off downstairs and I'm trying to look and see and I'm trying to listen. I should get my dogs out to let them like, I just wanted, I didn't want to be alone, right? Libby's asleep, stuff didn't wake up. Um, and so I'm like, uh, and I'm, I'm fine to send my big dog who will bark uh, down and we go down and it was just a, a huge platter that had fallen off a shelf. There was nobody in the house, but I was prepared and the darkness made it terrifying, right? And there's a the question of, do I go into the basement where it's dark and like, no, I want lights shining everywhere in that moment, right? I want to know what's going on. I want to be able to see. I want the, that truth revealed. Light here is this beautiful, loving gift that shines into the darkness and reveals what is true. That's who Jesus is, the ultimate light. The word became flesh dwelling among us. The word that, that is light, that is truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who speaks for us. So the word now wasn't just speaking to us and creating us. Then we find in Jesus that the word speaks for us. In the Hebrews series that we did, we talked a great deal from Hebrews 4 and 5 about Jesus being that great high priest where he intercedes for us on our behalf before the Father. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, he says, they're mine. There's, there's, there's no condemnation here. And we find in, in Romans 8 verse 26 that the spirit intercedes for us, that the, the word didn't just create the world and speak to us or about us. It speaks for us, that he speaks for you and for me. And he speaks words of love and care so that we can be invited in with great hope 
in the midst of all of the mess that we can, we can look to him and find that he's speaking truth to us and for us. And that, that is deep love for you and for me. Let's pray.